Uh, if you would open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Thank God. You know, uh, in Loon Lake on Sunday night, the Lord led us in a particular direction. I believe that there's a similar direction that we'll go tonight. And um, it's something that probably you know and you probably believe. It might be something that you know up in your head, but it needs to sink in your heart and you need to be so convinced of it. We need to know the order of how things work and how faith works and how, how we act on the Word. You need to know that there is a way that God does things and there's a way we respond and we need to know that He is always the first one to make a move. That's important. You are not making a move to impress God and then maybe God will let you into the club. He made the first move. He always makes the first move. And what we learn to do is respond in faith. Respond in faith to the Word of God. Respond in faith to the grace of God. Respond in faith to everything He says and everything He does. Learn how to respond. And learn that it always is a response. Because when you know that what you're doing is a response to what God has done and what God has said, then you, you're not doing it in your own strength. You're not doing it in your own power. And you're not doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, it's important to realize that when John says through the Spirit, he says, we love because He first loved us. That that gets in your heart. In fact, in another place in that same book, he says, he says, we have come to know and believe the love of God which He has for us. I mean, we have to know and believe His love before we have the capability to love. If you flip it around, you get into uh, dead works, you get into to the flesh, and uh, your life becomes very difficult and fruitless. The vine must exist before the branches exist, right? A branch does not grow a vine. A vine grows a branch. So we have to realize He did it first. He moved first. He loved first. He spoke first. And if we do everything we do, everything we say, everything, every, every action, every plan, every move, we set in response to what He said and what He's done, then we'll be moving in the Spirit. And you won't be just trying to work. I mean, like, like we said, we love because He first loved us. You could spend the rest of your life trying hard enough to love God so much that someday He'll love you back. And you will fail. Because you miss it. Because God already has shown His love for you. The Bible says He loved us while we were yet sinners and He died for us while we were yet sinners. So we have to know that our love is a product of His love. You have to... I mean, you may, you may have thought at some point, well, if I... If I do all the right things and I work hard enough, I'll be saved, I'll be born again. But the Scripture says very clearly, it is impossible for you to walk in the Spirit until you're born again. It's impossible for you to carry out the kingdom until you're born again. You can't resist sin until you're born again. You can't walk in the Spirit. You can't walk in the life of God. You can't do any miracles. You can't walk in the grace of God until you're born again, right? So it doesn't make sense that if I do all of these things, then I'll be born again because you can't do all these things until you're born again. First thing that has to happen is you're a new creature. And you receive that free gift by faith. And you respond to that. 
What we find through the scripture is that there's almost a dance that takes place where God makes a move and we respond. He makes another move and we respond until it happens so often that you don't even notice that it's two separate beings and you're just flowing and there's a rhythm to it that you find out throughout scripture that he has always been pursuing you. He has always been chasing you even though he was the one that deserved to be chased. He chased us. He pursued us. And we turn around and respond to Him. There's a, there's a scripture in Isaiah 19 where God is talking about Egypt. You know when the, the Old Testament prophets speak of the other nations, it's not usually nice. <laughs> because, you know, God judges nations different than He judges people. You may not know that, but the scripture says He will judge the nations. To judge them as a group doesn't mean everybody gets lumped in, but it does mean that he will judge nations. And one of the, one of the criteria for that is how they treated his people, how they, how, whether they resisted to him or yielded to his plan. And uh, there's a section in Isaiah 19 where he speaks of Egypt, and you go, uh-oh, here it comes. Because if you read the Bible, Egypt wasn't always nice to Israel. You go, uh-oh, Egypt's about to get spanked. This isn't going to be good. But in Isaiah 19, he says, I will strike Egypt, which is about what you'd expect. They deserve a lot more than a, a strike. But here's what he says. I will strike them and heal them. And that captured me reading that. He says, he says I will strike but, but heal as well. He says, here's, what's, here's what will happen. He says, so I'll do this. They will return to me. Then he says, when they return to me, I respond to them and heal them. Isn't that awesome? He makes the first move. He makes the first move of healing. Even in the striking, there was healing. Then they turned back to Him, and He completely healed them. Isn't that awesome? So what God does is, is He makes the first move. You respond, and He makes another move. This, to give you another example, the Bible talks about uh, the fact that, yes, of course, He pursued us. Jesus said to His disciples, You didn't choose me, I chose you. But they had to say yes. Rich young ruler said no. Right? Jesus said, you can follow me. An invitation, you only see him give the other disciples. Follow me. Gives it to the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler says, I can't do that. I can't meet what you said. I mean, the, the, the things I'd have to give up to follow you, it's not worth it. I can't do it. So he walks away. But we know that God chased us. He pursued us. He died for us. Before you did anything for him, then the Bible calls that the grace of God and we respond the way we attain that grace is through faith, right? That's the way you reach out and grab what God has done is by faith. So we respond in faith. Then what does the Bible say? He says He responds back to us. In fact, James says, draw near to God. Now we know God's already drawn near to us through Jesus. But He says, now draw near to God and He will draw near to you. So it goes back and forth. And everything we do, we say, the only way I can love is because He first loved me. So if you can't get a hold of the fact, if you can't grasp the fact that God loves you greatly, you won't be able to love back. You could try all your life to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, God. Now do you love me? You'll miss it because you have to realize He loved you first. And once you get that He loved you, you have the capability to love. You cannot pour out what you've not been filled with. 
It's impossible. God is the source of life. So the only way you can spread life, show life, work in life, is if you've already received life. So we ask ourselves, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Chicken came first. We know that, right? It may stump people in the world, but we've read the book. Adam didn't come out as, as a little seed that had to be united with an egg. He was a full-grown man. Bible says that God created the birds, He created the fish, so He created a chicken. The chicken made an egg. And sometimes there's a spiritual correlation. We go, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, did I love him or did he love me? And the answer is, he loved you. Which came first, salvation or work? Salvation, because without salvation you never could work. you got to get it right. If you spend all your time trying to work for something that's already been given... You'll never attain it because you're working from the wrong place. Let's go to Philippians. And I want us just to see a few things here. And uh, as much as I like reading front of chapter to back of chapter, we're going to skip around a touch. And I hope you'll forgive me for that because we have, we've taught through the whole book of Philippians only a, about a year ago. So hopefully you remember what we learned. And uh, we're going to, for the sake of time, do a bit of skipping around here. In Philippians chapter 1, he says this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So they are saints, which means they've been made holy, right? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from this very day until now. From the first day until now, I'm sorry. For I am confident of this very thing. Listen, here's what he says. That he who began a good work in you. So who started the good work in you? He did. And he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ of Christ Jesus so here's a big thought he says the guy who started everything is going to be involved in the perfecting the finishing of it and when we talk about the finishing of it it doesn't mean that God starts something and then he shows up at the end to approve everything but it's like a carpenter that finishes a countertop or finishes a cabinet he's working on it he's perfecting it and that's what he does in through all of our lives amen I mean, the book of Hebrews talks about two types of sanctification. In one place, it says that we have been sanctified and we have been perfected by the blood of Jesus. It says that it has perfected us for all time. There's been a sanctification that happened to your spirit when you got born again. It was brand new. It was clean. It was perfect. And it still is. But then there's the rest of you. <laughs> there's the rest of you that still liked pizza and, and, and may have still liked a lot of other things that were much worse than pizza. And your spirit was made brand new, perfect in the eyes of God, and yet you still had flaws and you still had weaknesses and you still had things that didn't quite measure up. And so what does God do? In His love, He finishes you until the day of Christ Jesus. So that means you're not done until you see Him face to face. 
You've still got things that He's working on you. That does not mean that your spirit isn't perfect, but it means the rest of you is being sanctified. So there's a, a sanctification that took place in your spirit. Once for all, it's finished, it's done. Yet there's a rest of you that's being worked on. Thank God. And being transformed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus Christ. And that will keep going until the day of Christ Jesus. And that's good news. That means He doesn't give up on you. That means He doesn't quit. He doesn't get tired. He continues working through you. Thank God. Now, all of this starts with the thought that they are already saints. This is a book of instruction. It's a book of teaching. But they're not working to sainthood. They're not trying to get to sainthood. He's already called them saints because something has happened that made them holy, and that's Jesus Christ. That's their, by faith, receiving the gift that Jesus gave them, they were made holy. But now there's some, there's some work and some obedience and some faith that needs to come into the picture for the rest of, their, the rest of them, you know, that's still not perfect. And here's what he says. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. Then he says this, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. So there, there are higher places to go, right? Then he says this, So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been, past tense filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through who? Jesus Christ that's, that's where the fruit of righteousness comes from it comes through Jesus Christ that means He paid the bill for it He's the reason you have it you're not the reason you have it He's the reason they have it. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 that He has been made unto us the righteousness of God. And so because of Him, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So He says, this I pray that your love would keep abounding more and more in real knowledge in all this sermon. But then it says, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we understand, there He is again making the first move. There He is again pouring out into us what we need and what we've got to do by faith is receive that righteousness, receive that gift, and then walk it out. Now listen, we're going to skip a little bit ahead. And He says in this, I wish we had time to read every bit in between, but we're going to start in verse 12. He's talked about having the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus, humbling Himself, and being exalted. And he says this, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So we see the order of things here. He does not say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. It already has to be inside you. If it's not in you, you can't do any of this. If it's not in you, there's not going to be any fruit in your life. If it's not in you, there will be no results. 
If you didn't already have the salvation that came from Jesus Christ, you could not do any of this. He saved us so that we could do these things. Now listen, he says, work it out with fear and trembling, for it is it God who is at work, still at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now when we recognize that it is God who is at work in us, we can let Him do the heavy lifting. And we can trust that through our obedience, we're not acting on our own, we're not acting on our own initiative, but we're acting in faith. We're responding to the Word of God. We're responding to what He said. And this is what a believer is. A believer isn't somebody that goes, yeah, that's true. A believer is somebody that says, that's true, so I'm going to do that. If I were to say, you will all die. You'll all die within an hour if you don't go drink some apple juice. Now that's crazy. You know, that's stupid. No one would ever say that, right? That's the silliest thing you probably ever heard all day. <laughs> and probably saying that's flattering myself. But if I had said, if you don't drink apple juice in the next hour, you're going to die. You can say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. Amen, brother. Amen. But if you don't get up and run for some apple juice, I'm pretty convinced you don't believe in a word to say. Either that or you just want to die. You're just happy to go see Jesus. The guy who believes me goes and gets some apple juice, right? So when we say, yes, I believe you, Lord, it usually causes you to do something. But it's got to first come out of what he's said, out of something that he's already done or said. We are responding to the word of God. So when Jesus came, if you look, at, not right now, but go back sometime and read Luke 4 when he announces his mission. He says, I came to preach this. I came to proclaim this. I came to proclaim this and to preach this. All of these things he's come to preach and to proclaim. You know, he didn't say, I've come to lay my hands on the blind and heal them. He said, I came to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. I came to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I came to proclaim release to the captives. I came to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Why did he do that? Because you had to hear it so that you could believe it and walk. And here's what happened. When he did preach, he proclaimed the kingdom. In fact, he told his disciples, when you go out to these villages, preach the kingdom. Then he says, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. You preach the kingdom and they'll respond in faith. And if they respond in faith, I will turn and I will heal them. You don't see Jesus go door to door and force himself into people's homes and, and lay his hands on sick people. Do you? You don't even see him go door to door and ask if somebody needs prayer. You see him go into a village and proclaim, this is what I'm here to do. And it says, they brought their sick to him and they were healed. This is how we live our life. You hear the word. You walk towards it. You believe it. And he heals you. And he does what he said he would do. It's not, it's not that those people impressed Him. It's not that they worked harder than anybody else. It's that they believed Him and they walked towards where He said to go. It's not that they were better people. In fact, better people than them were not healed. It's that they had faith. And faith caused them to get up and go to Jesus. This is what happened to us, right? This is what's got to happen. The Word of God has got to get you to get up and walk to Jesus. It's got, it's got to fill you with faith so you believe, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can say this. What does the Bible say? It says His commandments are not burdensome. 
You know, he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But have you ever read the Gospels? Have you ever read some of the things that Jesus said? <laughs> yeah, I hope so, right? No, is that the red stuff? I thought it was red light, like don't read. Now you, you probably have. You know, when he talks about life in the Spirit, he talks about a new way above the law. He says, here's what the law told you, here's what I tell you. It's like, man, who can do that? He said, you've heard eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but here's what I say to you. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for your enemies. Love them. Oh my goodness, how am I going to do that? Well, in 1 John, when it says, His commandments are not burdensome. In fact, let me read that to you, because you'll need to see the context. Because if you're trying to do this in the flesh you will think His commandments are incredibly burdensome. How can I live for God? How can I do what He tells me to do? I'm just a man. You can be all dramatic like that, like you're on a Broadway play. I'm just a man. Beat your chest. How can I do this? Well, if you do it in the flesh, you can't do this. But if you respond to what He said, we understand that what we've said in the past few weeks, we've said for years, is that when God speaks to you, when God gives a command, it's an enabler. It's empowering. If I told you, just in my own mind, if I just, just for no reason, I said, I want you to run, and I want you to break the record. What record? Oh, I want you to break the Canadian record. Go break Donovan Bailey's Canadian national record for sprinting. For a 100 meter dash, I want you to break his record. Now, he doesn't hold the world record, but he still holds a Canadian record, so I'm giving you a break. I want you to break that record. You couldn't do it, could you? No matter how many times I tell you or threaten you, you can't do it. You could try really hard. You could train hard. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to sell you short, but the youth are downstairs. Everybody who's in this room is probably past the time. Probably missed it. Boy, you got encouraged at church today, huh? You're all acting like this was your dream, like you thought you were going to leave. And I was just about to start training next week. Okay. Well, maybe there might be a couple exceptions. Maybe one or two of you will break the record. But if I told you that, you go out and break that record. You could try hard, but you still can't do it. You could want to do it. You could believe you should do it. That won't help you. But when God says things to you, if God said go out and break that record, the moment He spoke to you and you received that by faith, you could go break that record. Because His Word is enabling. It's empowering. It's life. What did we say? What does the Scripture say? We've quoted it several times. When Paul wrote to the church, he wrote to the Thessalonians, he said this. He said, I thank my God constantly that when we preached to you, that when you heard the Word, you didn't receive it as a Word from man, but as a Word from God. And it's that Word which performs its work in you. What performs its work? Did you perform the work? No, the Word performed the work. But the first thing you had to do, your job, was responding to the Word and saying, I, I receive it by faith as a Word from God. So if He says I can, I can do that. When you act like that, you can do anything. What does the Bible say in 1 John? He says this, in verse 1 of chapter 5, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. So He's just told us, here's proof that you love God when you're doing what He says. But listen to this. Because there's a ton of things that He told us to do. And it might seem hard for some people to do. But He says this, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. What's an easier way to say that? That we keep His word. We believe it and we act on it. He says, and His commandments are not burdensome. Now, if you read the Bible purely in the flesh, if you read it without having a relationship with Jesus Christ, without being renewed in the inner man, without the Spirit of God, you'll say, that's a lie. It's much easier for me to ignore these commandments. Most of these commandments are way too hard for any human to always keep. But what does He say? His commandments are not burdensome, for, that means I'm about to explain to you why, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. How are we going to do that? Our faith. Our faith. What does that mean? That means that the only way you're going to keep His commandments is by faith. Now, faith does not rely on you. Faith relies on Him. Faith is all about Jesus. You cannot have faith in the power of unicorns. You can't have faith in the power of, of, of ballerina ninjas. You only can have faith in Jesus. He's the only one worthy of your faith. So when you have faith in Him, it enables you to overcome and to keep His Word because you're trusting Him to do the work in you. You're trusting Him to supply the power that you need with the faith that you need. You're trusting Him and faith is grabbing what He's freely given. So you always got to realize He did it first. He, when He said it, I can respond to it and I can do it. Let's read what, what the Bible says in the book of Titus When we get out of this order, guys, I know you may say, I know all this. This is nothing new to me. Well, praise the Lord. This is a refresher course for you. But if, if it is very easy for us to slip back into a mentality, into a thought pattern, that we say things like, I'm just not trying hard enough. Or we say things like, you know, I mean, I'm sure I'd get, a, I, I, I'm sure I'd get God working for me. If I did a little bit more, if I, if I applied myself a little bit more, then God would work on my behalf. You've got it backwards, friends. Uh, if God does not work through you, you can't work a little harder. If God does not supply the strength, you have nothing to give. If you don't do it through Him, it's not worth doing. What does the Bible say? Unless the Lord builds a house, they that labor, labor in vain. Does it say they're not laboring hard enough? Does it say they don't have skills? It just says they're wasting their time. Unless the Lord builds it, it's not worth doing. Can't do it. You're, you're laboring in vain. Without power, it's useless. All your work is useless if God is not doing it through you. Here's what he says. Titus says, uh, Paul says this to Titus through the Holy Spirit. I should say the Holy Spirit says it through Paul. be a better way to say it. He says this. Now, rec rem remember, if you've studied the New Testament, you know... Even the Old Testament, you know that God, though the Christians of the time lived in a, an era of slavery, 
I'm talking about where slavery was acceptable in society. God never accepted it. But you had believers who got saved and they were slaves. Right? Do you know the Roman Empire, its main commerce, its main economy was slavery. It's what kept the war machine going. It's what kept the empire growing. It was everywhere you went, you brought back slaves. It kept the money flowing. I mean, it was a bit of a short-term thinking, but this is the way they thought. They, I mean, this is the way the, the money kept flowing. This is the way the, they had money to go to war. This is the way everything worked, was you had to have lots of slaves. So, some of these slaves got born again. They get taught things like Paul's letter to the Colossians, which says, there's no difference between a slave and a free man. Praise God. And they realize I'm equal with everybody. I've been treated like a slave, like I wasn't worth anything. But all of a sudden, I've discovered the truth that Jesus sees me equal. He sees me as just as valuable as that rich guy over there. Now, some of these slaves, they got born again. And you're left with the question, what do you do? If God is against slavery and you're a slave that just got saved, what does God want you to do? Does he want you to run away? Does he want you to revolt? The answer is no. In fact, the scripture talks about how you can win your master to the Lord. Do you know sometimes we'll find ourselves in bad situations that aren't fair. And no one's saying they are fair. But how can I glorify God in an unfair situation? And how can God work? See, you revolt, you rebel, that's you trying to fix a situation. You giving it to God, that's Him fixing the situation. There's a section of Scripture that I love that gives people their value and gives them some worth. He, because slaves didn't get paid, of course, right? And the Scripture tells them, work as if Jesus were your boss. Work as if Jesus were your master. And He'll pay you. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is saying, I know your master doesn't pay you. I know he treats you cruelly. But if you'll work like you're working for me, I'll pay you. I'll reward you. I'll give you worth. I'll give you value. So Paul is speaking at this point to slaves. That's very difficult to tell a slave, God doesn't want you to run away. He wants you to stay right where you are. You're going to be a powerful witness for him right where you are. Remember, we've got scriptures in the Bible like Peter writing to the church. And Peter is like enemy number one in Rome. He's the one they want his head on a stick. They want to they put him up on a cross. And what does Peter say? During the reign of Nero, post-fire in Rome, after the, the great fire of Rome, Nero gets blamed for the fire. He says, I can't have that. So he blames the Christians. And all of society hates the Christians. And the emperor, to keep the heat off his back, puts even more blame on them and begins to kill them, torture them, and openly and public, publicly humiliate them. And Peter is public enemy number one. Now, we have never had a government that bad. We've never been subjected to that kind of cruelty. In fact, few Christians in the history of the world have. There's been plenty but in the large scheme of things, this is one of the worst persecutions of the early, still, small church. What happens when Peter writes his letter and he says, he refers to Rome as Babylon. 
He's not a fan. But then he says, honor the emperor. The guy that wants to kill me. The guy that's tortured your brothers and your sisters. The guy that has put Christians on posts and lit them on fire to light his parties. Honor him. That's huge. And in doing so, here's what, what you're going to show. You're going to show that God is working in you. And that no matter what the circumstances are, that He is more powerful than these things. And there will be those one to the Lord because you did not let yourself be affected by these things around you, this light and momentary affliction, but you chose rather to honor God. And you honored an emperor that wasn't worthy of honor because God put honor in you. Now Paul is talking to slaves and he says, urge these bond slaves. Urge them to be subject to their own masters and everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. That means not stealing on the side. But showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in every respect. That means to wear what you believe. You say you believe this? Wear it. Let it cover you. Let it coat you. Then he says this, For the grace of God has appeared. The word appeared is the same word that we use, I mean, it's the same word that we've turned into the English word epiphany. You ever hear somebody say, I, I had an epiphany? It means all of a sudden, I got it. All of a sudden, I saw it. And the grace of God has appeared, or the grace of God has shown up and changed everything. And this was God making the first move, making a step towards us. When Jesus came, the grace of God came to us. And it says the grace of God did not just come with a whimper. It came with a bang. The grace of God showed up. The grace of God appeared. And it says here's what it's doing. The grace of God has appeared, has showed up, bringing salvation to all men. In fact, if you look it up, literally a better translation of this, and in fact it may say it in, your, in the column of your Bible, for the grace of God has appeared, it appeared to all men bringing salvation. That's a better way to translate it because you know that the Scripture tells us not everybody gets saved. It's offered to everyone, but not everyone responds, right? So grace of God appeared to all men bringing salvation. And everybody had a, had a fair shot at it. Everybody had the opportunity, but not everybody takes it. So we see here, the first move came from God. The grace of God showed up. He made the first move. And here's what He does. He brought salvation, instructing us. So what instructs us? Who instructs us? It says the grace of God instructs us. The grace of God will teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Isn't that awesome? You may have some things in your life that you have no idea how to beat. And you have no idea how to kick and no idea how to quit. And some desires that have been lagging on. But here's what the Bible says. That the grace of God will teach you how to deny them. No matter how many times they show up at your door. No matter how, no how many times they come to harass you. The grace of God will teach you to say no. In fact, to deny them, and we said this in Loon Lake, but I, I think of it, when I think of denying ungodliness and world desires, I think of uh, Peter denying Christ when he said, I never knew the man. And I think of that, when I think of denying something, I don't think it's just saying no. I think it's coming to the place 
where those old desires and old habits and old sinful things try to come back and take control over you again. And the grace of God will teach you to say, I never knew you. Do I know you? You leave my front porch or I'm calling the police. This is what the grace of God has taught us. It also teaches us, instructs us. Do you know this word instructs is the word that is also translated as discipline. In other words, to make a disciple. How did Jesus teach His disciples? He walked with them. He said to the Father, I carried them, I held them with my faith. And I taught them. And I gave them your love. The love that you have for me, I gave to them. The words that you gave me, I gave to them. As you sent me, I sent them. And so we understand that the grace of God, when Jesus came, that's what He did for His disciples. Now you are a disciple and you get the same treatment, the same royal deluxe disciple package that they had, you have. You get to follow Jesus around. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You get to have Him teach you daily what you need to learn. You get to have Him go with you when you lay hands on the sick and, and, and not, not only instruct you how, but give you the power to do it. He'll give you the power to pray. He'll tell you what to pray. And when those temptations and desires come back, thank God the grace of God has taught us how to deny it. It is disciplining us. It is showing us, also teaching us how to live sensibly. That means with a sound mind. How to live righteously, thank God, and godly in the present age. These are three different things. Sensibly, righteously, godly. And godly means you live like Him. Now, who's teaching you all this stuff? Does He tell you you need to learn this on your own? He says, Good grace will teach you this. So we understand that if I, am, if I have any hope living sensibly, righteously, and godly. It's got to be a response to the grace of God. It's only a response to the grace of God. If you think, well, if I live sensibly, righteously, and godly, then I'll finally attain the grace of God. You won't, you won't get it. You'll miss out on such, such good things. You'll never make it. But if you accept the grace of God first and then let it teach you these things, thank God. That's the order of things. He always moves first. He always moves first. You respond to Him. Then He draws near to you. Then you respond again. And I think of a train. As I was, as I was praying this afternoon, I, I, I thought of a train. How you watch the tracks of that train. You watch the... I don't know if they call them the wheels or what, but you know the, the part that connects the wheels, the chug. It goes back and forth. When it's starting to go, it's chugong, 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 chugong. And it speeds up until you can't tell when it's on the left side and when it's on the right side. It's moving so fast. And I think about that. When we first got born again, it was like God said something, and then we, we responded, and it felt like He responded. To that. But then as we live life in the grace of God, truly living out, walking by faith, obeying His Word, acting on His Word, all of a sudden it's like the difference between, uh, it's, it's like looking at the vine and the branches. You can't tell when one starts and one ends. You can only tell that they're flowing, and there's a rhythm, and there's, there's, there's an exchange between the two of them. That our life is like that. 
Our life is constantly responding to His Word, responding to His grace, responding to His first move. And if we don't respond, if you try to do this before He says something, if you try to, if you think you're making the first move, it will be in the flesh and it will fail. You let Him make the first move. You say, you've, you've made the first move. I'm simply responding to you. It says, here's what it does. It teaches us to live sensibly, righteously, and godly. And what? Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Grace of God teaches us to look and to keep looking for Him to come back. Someone who has partaken of the grace of God never stops expecting Jesus to return and lives every day like He could come back in five minutes. Lives every day with your eyes on the horizon waiting for Him to split the sky. Looks for the signs that He promised. Watches for them. You'll be sensible, you'll be righteous, you'll be godly, and you'll be looking. Why? Because He promised. A servant who is faithful expects that when his master says, I'm coming back, he will come back. The servant who does not expect that his master is coming back is not called faithful. He's called what? Faithless. You don't want to be a faithless servant. You want to be a faithful servant. So you live every day looking for his return. And it says, who gave himself. This is Christ Jesus. Gave himself for us. Once again, he made that move. Gave himself for us to redeem us. That means buy us back from every lawless deed and to purify for himself. Who's purifying us? Jesus is. He is purifying for himself a people. This means like a nation, like a race, like a family. A people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. There's always more than one ditch, isn't there? always a ditch on this side and a ditch on that side there's a ditch of legalism and there's just a ditch of uselessness <laughs> where people go I'm, I'm going to heaven good enough that's a ditch but you know I've learned that um, I hope I'm still learning in order to get people out of the ditch you just stay on the road sometimes people see somebody in a ditch and they They'll spend six weeks preaching against that ditch and they find themselves in the other ditch. But I believe you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Word of God shows us how to walk in the road. And we see a great combination here in Titus of responding to the free gift of God's grace, of Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us, and then being able to respond in faith, and we're going to see it in a moment, letting Him do that work in you, so that it's continued, that that work that he began is continually perfected. And it says this, He gave himself for us to redeem us, to buy us back from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself, he's purifying you, for himself a people for his own possession that he can be proud of, zealous for good deeds. So the grace of God has not only taught me how to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, not only taught me how to live sensibly, righteously, and godly, but it's purifying me, and it's making me zealous for good deeds. And I believe this is where we have to be, and this is where we're going to, to find ourselves as a, as a body of Christ, is at the place where we're not going through life going, oh, I know I should do good deeds. 
I know I'm supposed to do these things. But I don't want to. It's so hard for me. God, you've got to help me. God, you've got to give me a sign. Have you ever been that way? I've been that way. I went through a dry period in my junior high years where I knew I was supposed to pray for people and I was like, I was praying that God would do anything to make it so that I wouldn't have to do that. I would say a prayer in the morning, God give me opportunities, and then take it back in the middle of the day. (laughs) Be like, you know, maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow would be good. (laughs) I would just hope that something would happen. That's not the way God has designed us. I was telling the guys Sunday that we used to have bottle drives in the youth group to pay for our ski trips. <laughs> Thank God for bottle drives. They, they enable us to go to the mountains, but I hated them. Hated, up show, hated showing up at people's doors going, you got any bottles? Like, I mean, it just seems like the most loser thing to do. I just did not like it, and I was shy, and uh, I just didn't want to... You know, even though they're probably happy to get rid of their bottles. I just felt like I was a burden on them. I saw the sign says no soliciting. I'm like, is this soliciting? It seems like it. And so here's what would happen. The day would come for the bottle drive. And we got people in the church saying, Lord, send us good weather so those youth can have a good bottle drive. Oh, we pray for sunny weather that they, that they can go and, uh, and we pray, Lord, that they get a good return so they can go on their trip and have a great time. Meanwhile, I'm at home. Lord, send a blizzard. Send something. I mean, I don't want you to kill anybody, but whatever you need to do, get me out of this. And there's a part of me that knows I should do the bottle drive. It makes sense. I need to do the bottle If I don't do the bottle drive, I don't have money to go on this trip. So I need the bottle drive. But the other part of me just says, but I don't want to do it. Have you ever felt that way with the things of God? Have you ever felt? I, well, some of you say no. Praise the Lord. Some people go, and, 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 and I've been one of these people at, at, at times in my life where I knew I wanted to do the right things. I did want to do them. I wanted to pray for the sick. I wanted to go up to strangers and tell them about Jesus. But the other part of me is like, Lord, please, can you like pick somebody else or put me in a trance and make me do it so I don't have to like... God does not want you to go through life like that. There's barely any power in that. But he says, here's what he's creating. People that are zealous for good deeds. People that wake up in the morning burning. A people that you can't stop from doing these things. A people passionate about carrying out the work of Jesus. A people passionate about loving like Him, talking like Him, praying like Him, and, and seeing, the, seeing the things that He desires to be seen in this planet. Going and doing what Jesus did. He wants people of His own possession that are zealous for these things. And if you go at this point, I am not that person. You can be. You respond and realize that it is, you don't have to be zealous to earn something. That God has given you something to make you zealous. That His grace is able to... Those three words are huge. God is able. If you recognize that God is able to give you zeal, God is able to purify you, God is able. You are not, but God is. God is able to cause you to deny your worldly desires and your lusts and all that other junk. God is able to make you get up in the morning 
just saying, please, Lord, I'm praying that nothing will stop me from carrying out your will today. Rather than, please, send something, a hurricane or something. <laughs> Zealous for good deeds. Now listen. He says in the next chapter. In fact, let's read this in verse... Well, let's just read through. He says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities. It's chapter 3, verse 1. To be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. Ready for every good deed. To malign no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves. Disobedient, deceived, and slaves to various lusts and pleasures. Spending our life in malice and envy. Hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared or showed up, everything changed. You see, once again, God made the move. We were messed up. We were torn up. And God didn't say, get your act together and I'll show you some kindness. When His kindness appeared, when His love appeared, that epiphany, it says this, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly. Richly. Maybe we read that word richly too lightly. But in the original language, this is very rich. Somebody who's described like this, who had money like this, if we were talking about money, would be filthy, stinking rich. Richly, he poured out. What did he pour out on us richly? The Holy Spirit. Like more than you'll ever need. Like more than you could ever ask for. More than you could ever want. More than you could ever think that you could handle. He poured out the Holy Spirit on us richly. Before you did anything, He poured it out richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by His grace, so that had to happen, right? That by being justified by His grace, it says we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. I love how he says that. This is a trustworthy statement. This is true. And he says this, And concerning these things, I want you to speak boldly. I want you to speak confidently. So that those who have believed God, what's the first step? You believe God. Those that have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. I love the word, the, the word here that the New American Standard uses. Engage in good deeds. What does the scripture say? It says we're His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus created for good works which he has prepared beforehand for us beforehand before the beginning of time he prepared that we may walk in them and so what are you supposed to do it says you're supposed to believe God trust his mercy trust that his grace is able to do this and then engage in the good works he's called you to you don't do the good works so that you get all this you get all this so you can do the good works I don't, I don't work to get the love of God. I work to show the love of God which He has poured out in me. 
I work to distribute the love of God. And he said, I, I want to engage. I love that. The good works are there. They're prepared. They're ready. And you're custom designed for them. You were created in Christ Jesus for these things. You are a custom tool. You are custom fit for these good works. Now engage. Engage by faith. Those who have believed God will be careful. It's interesting that he uses the word careful, which means sit on your couch, let life go by. This doesn't happen. Careful means you have to apply your thoughts to this. You have to make up your mind. Don't be a Christian that just expects that if God wants you to do something, He'll haul you off the couch and make you do it. You respond in faith to the Word of God. To the commands of God. And they're not burdensome when received by faith. You go, Lord, if you tell me to fast for 40 days, the very fact that you told me means I can. Lord, if you tell me to sell everything and give it away, then I know I can because you told me. If you tell me to go pray for that guy in the wheelchair, all I got to do is just say, okay, I trust you and I go and do it. I got to engage. But engage, but first I've got to believe. What was the first step? He said, those who have believed will engage the thing that got you born again is faith the thing that got you filled with the Holy Spirit is faith I mean that's not the only thing it was the grace of God that offered these things to you it was faith that latched onto it and received it now you can't live the rest of your life with that that being the only act of faith you've ever had and just saying well God did that part and I'll do the rest that doesn't work God is not a supplement to your strength. His strength is not when your strength wears out, you rely on Him. You rely on Him at the very beginning. He is not a supplement to your joy. When you get discouraged, then call on Jesus. Call on Jesus when you're doing your best. Live life responding to the things He's done. Listen, that is why when we pray, what do we pray? The Word of God. Because God has already made promises. And so we can pray in response to His Word. That's how you're meant to pray. What did Jesus say? You, you pray in faith, right? What does it say in First John? It says we pray according to His will. Well, how would we know if we're praying according to His will? He's already said. And if you don't know His will, First Corinthians 2 says, He can show you His will through the Spirit. And until you hear His will, shut your mouth. Unless you're praying in the Holy Spirit. So here's what we do. We respond. Pastor Brownie spoke about, talked about when she was in Mississippi laying hands on the sick. She said, What's your, what can we pray for you for? They come up and go, well, I know I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus and I'm standing on this scripture and this scripture and I just need you to, to agree with me that I see the manifestation of that in my body. It's really fun to pray for people like that. We've already telling you the scriptures they're believing. Why? Because they're not here with a faith in you. They're not here with a faith in the guest speaker or faith in the special music. They have a faith that God's already promised me that I could be well and I'm just believing I'll see it in my body. They're responding to what God has already said and He is greatly pleased by that. 
Don't waste your time working, working to get something. Respond to what He's already said. Respond to His promise. Respond to His love. Respond to His grace. And before you do anything else, freely receive. Why? Because Jesus said, freely you have received, now freely give. You can't give if you haven't received. And I hate to mess up our theology or hate to mess up somebody's view of God, but I'm going to tell you, you have nothing to offer unless you freely receive something. The first thing you get from God is going to be free. And everything after that is still put on His credit card. You're just responding in faith and obedience, walking it out. Don't be faithless, be faithful. Be careful to engage in good deeds. But when you do it, realize it's God at work here. This is God at work here. It's God at work both to will and to work of His good pleasure. I love that. That scripture didn't just promise you you can do it. That scripture promised you that God's able to make you want to do it. That's what will means. God will put the will in you. That's what He said here. I'll make you zealous. You want to be on fire? You can be. You've got a promise. The grace of God is able to teach you. Train you, purify you, and make you zealous.